home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Thumb and Hammer Podcast. My name is Doug, and in the last episode, we explored the wild and wacky world of drywall. This time around, things are going to get a little darker, more mysterious, as we descend the stairway and enter the bowels of the house, the dungeon, the basement, the basement. I grew up in a house with a full basement. The house was built in the mid-1950s. My parents bought the house around 1964, and they finished the basement themselves, which at that time involved a lot of wood paneling. Anyway, I remember that whenever it rained, we had to check to make sure that there was no water coming in the house. There were a couple problem spots, and it became my job to grab some old towels and sop up any water from the carpet if there was any water that came in. Yes, carpet. We all know better now. Carpets do not belong in basements. But we had wall-to-wall carpet in the family room half of the basement. But yeah, when it rained heavy enough, we ran the risk of water coming in the basement. It was normal. In fact, after a storm, my mother and my aunt, who lived a few blocks away, would compare notes. Did your basement leak? No, not this time. Oh, we had a huge puddle. And so on. I remember one time, either on the radio or television, somebody saying that if you have a basement, you have to expect it to leak. That's just the way it is. Years later, when I bought my own house, I bought a house that was built in the 1950s. Full basement. And it, too, had wood paneling. Just a coincidence. That has nothing to do with what this podcast episode is about. I decided that I was going to turn a corner of that basement into a home office or computer room. I thought it would be nice to finish that corner with drywall. I wasn't planning on a complete renovation, just throw up a couple walls and replace a few sheets of wood paneling with a few sheets of drywall. So, I started to remove some of the paneling. And the one by 2 strapping that was attached to the concrete block foundation came with it. The nails holding the strapping to the block were completely rusted, and many had virtually disintegrated. Now... Between the strapping and the block, there was some tar paper or roofing paper or whatever. So you had the foundation, the tar paper directly against the foundation, then the strapping, then a thin vapor barrier, and then the wood paneling. No insulation. The lack of insulation didn't bother me. I already knew that the rest of the house, which was completely block construction, had no insulation in the walls. But behind the tar paper, the block wall was absolutely saturated. 
The question was whether it was condensation that somehow found its way back there, or if it was water finding its way in from the outside. Well, I had bought that house when I was single. And then I got married. And a few years later, my wife and I bought a house in the country. The house that I refer to as our money pit. And it too had a full basement. And it too had water issues. It was the first time that I lived in a house with a sump pump. And I found out just how important that sump pump was when I unplugged it to use the outlet for a power tool. And then I forgot to plug the sump pump back in. And then it rained. And we had about an inch or two of water over the entire basement. Which wasn't a big deal because even though the basement was finished when we moved in, by that point I had gutted it. Even with the sump pump, there were water issues. Especially where the family room addition met the original house. The previous owner had built a wood porch and the ground under the porch was significantly lower than the rest of the yard. And there was a downspout going into a drainage pipe in the corner, which went who knows where. And coincidentally, that was the area of the basement where we had the water problem. Well, after 12 years in the money pit, my wife and I admitted defeat. I talked about this before on the podcast. Anyway, we moved into our current house where, about a month or so after moving in, our basement flooded during a heavy rain. So, if you are keeping score, that is four houses, four basements, and four problems with H2O. Starting to see a pattern here. Maybe trying to live in a hole in the ground isn't such a good idea after all? Just a thought. Well, once upon a time, basements were meant for nothing more than mechanicals, like your furnace and hot water tank and stuff like that, and storage. They were just crawl spaces that you could walk in. I have been in houses that were built around the 1930s or 1920s, around that time. Um, and their basements had ceiling heights of maybe six feet or less. I'm six foot two, and my head would bounce off the floor joists. Well, I guess at some point, some builder realized that they should probably dig a little deeper. For houses built in the 1950s to the 1970s or so, they squeezed a few extra inches out. Um, typical height around that time is about 80 inches, or just over six and a half feet. Being able to walk upright is good, and that space became usable by humans. A hangout space for the kids. A man cave before man caves were man caves. A casual space for the family to watch TV. These days you have full height basements, finished pretty much the same as the rest of the house. Basements are no longer an afterthought 
and keeping them warm and dry is a priority. So let's look at the construction. First, we dig a hole in the ground. Then we pour a footing, which is wider than the actual wall is going to be. This gives the structure stability. On top of that footing, a concrete block wall is built to above ground level, or in the case of a solid foundation, the concrete wall is poured. In either case, the footing is the first phase and the wall is the second phase. Sometimes the footings and foundation are poured all at the same time for a monolithic structure. Anyway, after that, the wood framing or whatever material is built on top of that foundation. A drainage tile is laid at the footings to capture any water and directed either to another part of the property or to the storm sewers. The drainage tile can be sections of clay pipe or it can be perforated pipe. Um, it all depends on when the house was built. Then, some of the earth that was removed in order to build the house is backfilled around the exterior. So, what you have is earth that is being compacted over many years or decades or centuries. But around that house, the earth has been aerated. And the fluffy aerated earth is going to soak up more water more quickly than the compacted ground around it. And concrete even though it is one of the best building materials that we have, isn't perfect. It's basically a sponge. There are pores and capillaries that will absorb water. Enough water and the concrete becomes saturated. At any rate, water can find its way through concrete. So, the builders will put up some sort of barrier on the block to prevent water from soaking into it. Back in the day, they painted on a tar foundation coating, and that worked okay, in theory, for a while. The problem is that over time, it could become brittle and end up cracking, and then it's no good. These days, they will use a membrane, such as the Delta membrane, which is a high-density polyethylene material, sort of a plastic This membrane has dimples, which creates an airspace between the membrane and the foundation, which gives any water, which gets behind it, a way to find its way down to the drainage tile. And it's a very effective barrier between the foundation and the earth around it. The idea, of course, is to stop water before it comes in. The membrane is also a popular retrofit for houses with leaky basements. But you gotta dig around the house, and in doing so, you are going to mess up landscaping, decks, patios, driveways. And it can also be dangerous for the guys working in the trench, should it collapse. I had an interior membrane installed on my dad's house before putting it on the market after he passed away. There was some obvious water damage in the basement, and I wanted to be able to point to it and say that the problem was fixed. The contractors dug the trench and cleaned off the foundation wall, painted on some tar-like coating, and then installed the membrane. 
At the footing, they repaired the drainage tile. The clay pipe had sagged in one section, in the section that corresponded with the water damage inside. (laughs) Go figure. I mean, what are the odds? Now, they only did this repair on one part of the house, which isn't necessarily the best solution, but I was putting the house on the market after all, so I wasn't exactly looking to spend big bucks here. I was looking to do just enough. The border and shrubs that my mother had cared for while she was alive were now gone, and I was left with some landscaping repair. But it only took the contractors a few hours to do that 20-foot section. I imagine they could have done the entire house in a day or two, if you don't include ripping out the driveway and sidewalks. Another solution for a wet basement is a drainage system in the interior of the house. This is the kind of system that we had installed in the basement of our current house after our little water problem. What they do is break up the slab floor around the perimeter of the basement and dig down to the footing. Holes are drilled in the bottom row of blocks to reduce hydrostatic pressure, so water that gets into the block now has an escape route to this new drain. And the drain also takes care of any water that comes in between the footing and the foundation, which is a very common infiltration point. That drain moves the water to a sump pump, which expels it outside of the house. And all of this takes place below the surface of the concrete slab. So once it's installed, the concrete slab can be patched. The advantage to this system is that being inside the house, it is not disruptive to the landscaping outside. It is not going to clog up with mud or debris or roots, nor is it prone to collapsing. The same can't be said for the exterior system. The disadvantage is that it disrupts the space inside the house, which is a pain if you have a finished basement with carpet or tile. In our case, we had carpet. Now, it bears repeating here that carpet should never be used in a basement. But carpet we had. Now, it had been very wet, and... We were therefore intending to get rid of it anyway, so this wasn't a big deal. The walls were finished with 2x4 framing, fiberglass insulation, and drywall. The contractors had to remove the walls about 2 feet up from the floor so that they could install their system. Now, the same company can also sister the studs and replace the bottom of the walls and install a waterproof wainscoting, which looks very good, but... It's also very expensive. So, I'm repairing the walls myself. The point is, whether waterproofing from the inside or the outside, there is going to be disruption and damage that will have to be repaired, and that cost will likely factor into your decision. In our case, we had a sidewalk in the front and a patio in the back, and only about five feet between our house and our neighbor's driveway. Economically, it made more sense for us to take care of the problem from the inside. As to which is better, obviously you want to stop water before it comes into the house. The interior system is not really waterproofing as much as it is 
water management. Rather than preventing water from coming inside, it takes care of any water that does come inside and prevents damage to finishes like flooring and walls. A friend of mine had a house built about 10 years ago, and that builder used both systems, which is easy to do at the construction phase. Overkill? Maybe. Anyway, since having our basement waterproofed, I am happy to say that we have been high and dry. Water coming in from outside is not the only water problem a basement can have. Condensation can cause damage from moisture and issues like mold. When warm, moist air comes into contact with a cold surface, the moisture in the air can condense on that surface. Think of water beating up on a can or bottle of ice-cold beer on a hot summer day. If your basement feels damp and musty, this could be the cause. The moisture in the air can condense on cooler surfaces like the concrete foundation in the basement. And you'll especially notice this on cold water pipes. Humid air inside the house can be controlled with a dehumidifier. But, how do you know exactly where the moisture is coming from? Is it coming through the foundation? Or is it condensation? An easy way to tell is to take a piece of tin foil or vapor barrier and tape it to the wall. Tape it completely around the edge so no air can get between it and the foundation. After several days, take a look at it. If there is moisture on the outside, you have condensation. If, when you remove it from the wall, it is wet on the side that was against the wall, then that moisture is coming through the foundation. The key to controlling moisture wherever it is coming from, the key to a dry basement, starts outside. If you have ever listened to the Money Pit Radio Show with Tom Kreitler and Leslie Segretti, you have heard this ad nauseum. I mean, I don't think a week goes by where you don't hear Tom's stock answer. Check your gutters and downspouts and make sure they are clear and free-flowing. Make sure your downspouts discharge at least four to six feet away from your house. And make sure your landscaping slopes away from the house. Keep as much water away from your house as possible. Now, I listen to the Money Pit Podcast, and I can predict every time that this will be his answer. In fact, he goes as far to say that if you take these steps, you won't need to spend money on additional waterproofing, inside or outside. I'm not sure I agree with that completely, but then I am someone who spent 15 grand on waterproofing, so I have to justify that somehow. But then we also have a smallish lot in a subdivision, so we don't have that much room to build up our landscaping without affecting our neighbors. But he is right. Think about it. Our lot is about 50 by 120. That's roughly 6,000 square feet. The footprint of our home, with the garage, is around 1,500 square feet. Without the house, the rainwater would simply be absorbed into the ground. But now, you're taking whatever falls in that 1,500 square feet, and you have to do something with it. 
you don't want all that water getting dumped next to the foundation. If the gutters are blocked, they will overflow. And that water ends up against the foundation. If the downspouts don't discharge far enough away, that water can end up against the foundation. And if the ground doesn't slope away from the house, yeah, you guessed it, water can end up against the foundation. And any water against the foundation can find its way into the house. Even if you don't see it, the moisture can evaporate inside, increasing the humidity level and creating that damp, musty basement that we talked about earlier. In the money pit, I had called a foundation company to get a ballpark figure for installing an exterior membrane on our house. Now, remember, we had that depressed area where the wood porch had been, and I hadn't filled it in because I figured it would just be have to be dug out again. This gentleman did not even give me a price. Suggesting that landscaping could solve our problem, then we should try that first. I'm not sure if he was just being dismissive because we weren't going to be customers right away, or whether he was just too busy to be bothered with us, or if he was genuinely trying to save us money. But he did suggest landscaping. Not sure how many so-called wet basement contractors turn away potential work, but there you go. In that depressed area formerly occupied by the wood porch, there was a downspout going into a big O. It looked like the big O then went under the foundation for the addition. And in the corresponding corner of the basement, there was definite water staining. The concrete block had a white powdery substance on it. That white powdery substance is called efflorescence. It's the mineral salts left behind when the water evaporates. We also had water come in nearby where the previous owner had cut into the block for a stairway from the basement to the addition. I took that downspout and disconnected it, added an elbow and another 8-foot section or so to extend it past the depression and discharge into the front yard. And even though we had that depressed area, this was enough to solve the water problems that we were having. In our current house, even though I could hear Tom Kreitler's words burning in my ears that waterproofing is a waste of money, we bit the bullet and chose to waterproof our basement from the inside. My thinking was that we were going to have the basement torn apart anyway thanks to the damage from our mini-flood. And maybe our issues could all be solved with the gutters and downspouts and landscaping. And maybe a new sump pump was going to be enough to keep us dry. But it's the what-ifs that got me. What if we finish the basement and then have another water problem? It would really suck to have to redo the basement yet again. So, it made sense to go ahead and get the interior system installed. Think of it as a very expensive insurance policy. Ideally, we will never need it. The gutters and downspouts and existing measures outside the house 
will be enough to keep us dry. But the interior system is there just in case we ever need it. And while these contractors were working on our waterproofing, we found out just how much damage can be done by overflowing gutters. One wall, away from where the water had come in during the storm, the concrete block was absolutely saturated when they stripped away the drywall and the insulation. One of the guys told me that in some cases, when they drilled the weep holes in the bottom course of the blocks, he has seen water stream out of that hole because, you know, the blocks are hollow and they can literally fill up with water. That didn't quite happen with us. I have to admit that I was kind of disappointed. Anyway, I went outside and I located the corresponding area. And it was directly below a downspout that went from the upper roof gutter to the gutter of the lower roof. I got up on a ladder to investigate, and sure enough, it was clogged with leaves and muck. And it had probably been clogged like that for years. So any water that overflowed ended up against the foundation, leading to the saturated concrete block in the basement. So... I guess there really is something to be said for having clear gutters. One last way to mitigate the moisture that migrates through the foundation is waterproofing paint on the interior foundation wall. There are two products that I have used. One is Zypex, X-Y-P-E-X, and the other is Drylock. D-R-Y-L-O-K. Zypex isn't really a paint. It's kind of like painting on a layer of cement. You mix the powder with water, you wet the surface, and then you apply Zypex. Like, you apply it like a paint. And what is cool about Zypex is that it grows crystals, which grow into the pores and capillaries of the concrete and makes it very, very solid. Now it's not so much like a sponge anymore. The downside is that you have to keep the surface damp for a day or two for this crystallization to take place, and that can be messy. But if your basement is unfinished, it may be worth it. Dry lock is more like a paint, a very thick paint. It contains Portland cement, which bonds with the concrete surface and creates a barrier. But apparently it does breathe, so any moisture still has a way to get out. Now, I have used both of these products, and I would have to say that Zypex is the better of the two. However, Drylock is much easier to work with and is a whole lot less mess. Remember, the key to a dry basement is to control the water outside first and keep it away from the foundation. Take care of those gutters and landscaping. So anyway, in addition to the interior perimeter drainage system, we also had a triple sump pump system installed. And that consists of a main pump, a secondary pump that kicks on when the water rises because the first pump can't keep up, and a battery backup pump in case of a power failure. And since we've had all this work done, we have had no further water problems in the basement. 
So now I am reframing the exterior walls and installing new insulation. I have painted the foundation wall inside with dry lock. The wall has been framed out with two by fours and I've used rock wool insulation. Six mil poly vapor barrier has been stapled up. Acoustical sealant seals the vapor barrier to the top and bottom plates and at the ends of the wall. And any seams are taped with tuck tape, which is that red construction tape. And that should keep the warm, moist air inside from coming into contact with the cooler block wall. There is a newish product on the market that is a so-called smart vapor barrier that is more breathable than the standard 6 mil poly. Certainteed sells such a product by the name of Membrane. M-E-M-B-R-A-I-N. Check with your local building department to see if they will allow it in your area. Anyway, that takes care of the insulation and vapor barrier. And once that's done, the drywall is installed. And I have used a moisture and mold-resistant drywall because, well, this is a basement after all. So far, I have only done one side of the basement. On the other side, I am leaning towards spray foam insulation, which adheres to the wall, so no dry lock will be necessary. And it's also impermeable, so no vapor barrier will be needed either. At any rate, I am confident that our basement will be high and dry when all is said and done. So, did we overspend? Yeah, maybe. Definitely, if you listen to Tom Kreitler on the Money Pit. How far you take your waterproofing efforts is going to depend on your budget and the nature of your problem. But, start from the outside first. Manage that water and keep it away from your foundation as much as possible. And the easiest way to do that is to take care of the gutters, the downspouts, and the landscaping. And that's a whole lot cheaper than doing these other membranes and interior systems and all that. So, with that, I am going to wrap up this episode of the podcast, but... Before I go, I want to give you a quick update. A few episodes ago, I shared some details about our financial predicament. And I am pleased to say that our spending is now well under control, and we have been slowly knocking down our debts. Not by much, mind you, but reduction is better than addition. So, things have been going pretty well. We are happy with the TV situation now that we don't have a cable bill. We're happy with uh, just using our cell phones after giving up our landline, except when I was in the middle of an important customer service call when my cell phone dropped the call. You know, the kind of call where you wait on hold for 20 minutes before talking to someone and then they take a whole bunch of information from you and transfer you to someone else and you have to repeat all that information again. Yeah, that kind of call. So I went through all that And then I had to call back and go through all that again. Fun. But other than that, it's been good. Things have been good. Well, we can't have that now, can we? No. 
Of course not. My van needs new tires. The kitchen faucet is leaking. We're deciding whether or not to replace the cartridge or to replace the whole faucet. And more recently, our oven blew up. Well, it didn't blow up exactly. It just kind of went bang and stopped working. Now, it could just be the baking element, which is about a hundred bucks. But both the baking element and the broil element are not working, so chances are that we'll, we would also have to replace the clock, which is also the control panel. And if that's the case, well, that part's been discontinued. So I can buy the elements for 150 to 200 bucks, but there's no guarantee that they will work. So now we're looking into replacing the oven. And you know what? While we're at it, probably the fridge too. That's the downside of buying a house with appliances included. These were definitely a huge step down from the ones that we left behind when we sold our house. When it rains, it pours. But that's the story here. One step forward, two steps back. All the time. (laughs) I'm kind of used to it now. Thank goodness for tax refunds. Keeping my fingers crossed. So with that, I want to thank you very much for joining me. The website is thumbandhammer.com. Show notes for this and other episodes can be found by going to thumbandhammer.com slash pod. This was episode 35. You can also find me on Twitter at Thumb and Hammer. I tweet about news related to construction, real estate, interior design, and architecture. No politics, I promise. Thanks again for listening. I will talk to you again soon. Until then, cheers.